This is The Feed. From Markham. From Richmond Hill. From Vaughn. From Aurora. East Gwillimbury. Whitchurch, Stouffville. From everywhere you are. This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, things to do right here at home on this family day long weekend. The toll of the pandemic on minor hockey coaches and players. But we begin with the lifting of COVID restrictions. Lots of big announcements this past week. The feds are eliminating pre-arrival PCR testing for fully vaccinated travelers at the end of this month. And here in Ontario, the government announced that with key indicators like case counts, hospitalizations, and ICU admissions continuing to trend lower, it is fast-tracking its reopening plans. Joining us on the feed for the first time ever is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician and scientist. He has been a bright light through the darkest days of this pandemic, and you can count on him for science-driven information and well-researched observations. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bogosh. Great to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me on. So you've been quoted as saying public health measures have to be aligned with public health threats. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, obviously when we have a lot of uh, COVID in the community, when our healthcare system is overwhelmed, when we have ICUs packed, uh, and when we have COVID disrupting every single aspect of society, you've got to have some measures in place to really keep this at bay. But what we're really seeing now are trends headed in all the right directions, right? You've got uh, wastewater samples, uh, wastewater surveillance uh, plummeting downward. You've got hospitalizations related to COVID uh, plummeting downwards. You've got ICUs being decompressed. You've got the daily deaths going down. Like every single metric is headed in the right direction. Obviously, these policies are dynamic. They cannot be static over time. They have to align with the current threat. The current threat is very different now than it was only a few weeks ago. And that means the policy has to keep up. So, you know, I think it is time to, it's always time to constantly reevaluate and adjust policy based on the current threat. The threat's different now, so the policy should change. So why have the numbers been trending in the right direction lately? Why have they been going down? There's probably lots of different things driving this. Number one, we have very high rates of vaccination, which is extremely helpful. Uh, It's not the only thing, but it certainly is helpful. We've got about 90% of our eligible population in Ontario with at least two doses. Like, we can't emphasize enough how much that has helped. If we did not have these vaccines during this wave, it could have been just catastrophic. The second thing is we had tons and tons of gatherings over the Christmas holidays. Certainly that enabled cases to spike. And, you know, we probably have fewer indoor gatherings now of, of that nature on that scale. Although, of course, we still are seeing indoor gatherings. The other thing, too, is we knew a lot of people were going to get infected, and they did. And depending on the models you look at, anywhere from 20 to 30, maybe even north of that percent of the province was infected and recovered from an Omicron infection. And of course, we cannot ignore the immunity that people get. It's not as good as a vaccination, but it's still pretty good that you get from infection and recovery from infection. Um, so, you know, there's there's probably lots of reasons why cases are, are on the decline. And of course, you can't ignore some public health measures that keep things at bay, right? It just it's not going to fix all our problems, but like maskings help a bit. They don't help 
everything. They're not going to prevent a wave, but it does help blunt the course of the wave. And some of these other public health measures, as painful and as terrible as they are, they they do help. They pre- they prevent indoor gathering where we know people can transmit this virus. And the fewer people we have in indoor settings together, the fewer opportunities we have for the virus to transmit. And I think that helped a little bit as well. Not as much as we'd like, but of course, it probably helped a little bit. So as we know, Omicron is highly transmissible. Mm-hmm. Will we see now an increase again in cases as we all start to come together in restaurants and bars where we will be dropping our masks in order to eat and drink, gyms where there's heavy breathing and the the movie cinema where we're sometimes shoulder to shoulder for two, three hours at a time. Will we see an increase again in cases? It's, it's, it's hard to know. And just to be totally transparent, I'm not entirely sure how the next few weeks or months are going to unfold. Uh, certainly, we have to acknowledge that there are, you know, if we think about it on the scale, things that would promote COVID transmission to rise would be the fact that, yeah, we're going to have more people in indoor settings together. Yeah, that's where the virus is transmitted. The other thing we should consider, too, is um, uh, this, you know, we're talking about Omicron, but there's actually different variants or the technical word is sublineages within Omicron. One's called the B2, which we have a little bit in Canada, but it is taking off in, in Europe and uh, elsewhere in the world. And maybe it'll take off here in Canada as well. So that's just something to keep an eye on. And, you know, it's winter. We're indoors more. We know that in the summer when we're out of doors uh, a lot more, there's fewer indoor contacts. Uh, there's, there's, there certainly is less transmission. And, and in the colder, colder months, we see more transmission. So, you know, it's still... It's still the winter months, so there's there's opportunities for this to to transmit. But tilting the scale on the other side, we've got uh, a very highly vaccinated uh, community with uh, you know increasing number of third doses going in. We also know that many people have had two doses and a COVID infection, and two doses plus a COVID infection is probably uh, you know based on what we know now you know, might be loosely equivalent to about three doses of a vaccine. And obviously that helps with protective immunity and community level protection. So that's a long answer. The short answer is I don't know what direction this is going to go. No one would be surprised if there's uh, another wave at some point. The question really is, to what extent does that impact us here in Ontario and elsewhere in Canada? And, and hopefully because of the community level immunity that we've built up over time through vaccination and recovery from infection, hopefully this won't impact us as significantly as past waves. What about the under five age group? Still not vaccinated, still not eligible. Yeah, so I have to watch that age group closely. A few points. One is that it's pretty clear throughout two years of this pandemic that those under the age of five in general just don't get that sick. They don't. They, of course, can. They, of course, do. Sadly, some kids land in hospital. There's very rare deaths, which are all tragic. But in general, they just don't get as sick compared to older populations. Um, a vaccine, of course, would be helpful, but there have been significant delays in the development of this vaccine. Uh, and, you know, I don't think we'll hear about any new data until oh, probably April or May of this year as the vaccine companies continue to work on it. So, yeah, we've got to do our best to protect everyone, including that age cohort. Um, and, you know, just to call it how it is, we did see a rise in pediatric hospitalizations, largely among the unvaccinated, which largely included the under five crowd. The absolute number was small, and I'm not taking anything away from it because all of these are really sad cases. You just have to really put it in perspective 
the enormous, enormous, enormous number of people that were infected during this wave and the proportion of kids that land in hospital is still very small. Again, not taking anything away from it. We've got to protect these kids who are unvaccinated. And even though it's rare for them to get sick and land in hospital and have a bad outcome, it still can happen. So, of course, we have to be mindful of that. Dr. Bogosh, from your is it too soon to eliminate the proof of vaccination requirement? That the government is saying that's going to happen on March the 1st. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, obviously, if you line up a bunch of people, you're going to get a lot of different opinions on this. I really think that if we're going to do the proof of vaccination, you, you've got to be honest about what this does and what this doesn't do. With prior variants, I think it did a lot to create a much safer indoor space, right? You could reduce infection. You could reduce transmission to a, a pretty meaningful level. It wasn't perfect. It just was one major tool to create a safer indoor environment. But by of course, by all admission, it, it's not a perfect foolproof system. With Omicron, you, the strength of that goes down. It still helps. Don't get me wrong. It still probably slightly reduces infection and, and, and you know, may slightly reduce transmission, but not nearly to the extent as it would with prior variants. Three doses of a vaccine uh, would be very helpful. Uh, but of course, you know, are you going to mandate three doses of a vaccine? You, there's a lot of reasons why I think it would be extraordinarily challenging to do from a policy standpoint. I don't know if we want to talk about that, but I think you're really in a position now where you either scrap it all together or move it to a three-dose vaccine series. And it's interesting that they decided to scrap it all together, not to take a political stance here, but obviously we know that the uh, conservative government is, is, is in power now. They decided to scrap it. But the liberal government, the uh, opposition, the liberal party actually was in full agreement with this as well. Um, and they noted many policy uh, measures that I think we discussed uh, you know, publicly over the last couple of months uh, that really drove them to agree with this decision. So it's interesting. You don't often get political parties aligning hmm. on, on these issues, but yeah. these, these parties did align on the issues. I'll avoid the politics and stick with the science and the policy. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that was the right move. And we can discuss why if we have time. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I am looking at the reaction when it comes to the lifting of the restrictions and the the projection of the elimination of proof of vaccination. A lot of people are saying, yay, that's great. You know, I, I want my freedom and my, my rights and my liberties and so on. There are others who are saying, well, why did we go through all that we did in the past two years? And, you know, maybe now that it's it seems like it's over based on the messaging, I can do as I please. Well, I, I, I raised a few points. For starters, it's not over, right? We can't treat this as an Ontario problem or a Canada problem. This is a global problem. And the more we focus on, uh, on this as a regional problem, the more we're going to have to rinse, wash, and repeat, right? Mm -hmm. We really need to focus on getting uh, vaccines and therapeutics to every corner of the world to really to really prevent this. Uh, it's the right thing to do, and it also makes things a lot better for us in Canada. The proof of vaccination obviously has a, a tremendous psychological impact in the positive sense for many people. Some people are obviously against it. I, let's just talk about science and policy for a second. Um, you know, from a from a science standpoint, yeah, two doses now doesn't doesn't do what two doses did with prior variants. It's it's pretty clear. It doesn't. It's not like it does nothing. Of course, it does. It, it, it protects an individual from severe infection. It so two doses does a really good job at that. 
three doses is better, but we can't ignore the two doses does that. But there's a couple of interesting things that we need to consider. Number one, two doses plus infection is probably equivocal to three doses of a vaccine. Mm. Okay, so that's that's extremely important. And remember, there was a t- there were a ton of people in Ontario, anywhere from twenty to thirty plus percent of the province got co- got uh, Omicron and recovered from it. How are you going to identify who those people are if you didn't have access to testing? We did we just didn't have wide scale access to testing during this time. Another important point to recognize is that the National Advisory Committee on Immunization has said that you need to wait three months after you recover from infection before you get that booster vaccine, before you get that third dose. Well, you know, if we're sitting in late February, you know, you can't realistically have evidence of a third dose to get into a non-essential, you know, restaurant, uh, movie theater, et cetera, until late May, because people are still getting infected and recovering. So you can't exclude those people because they have to wait three months to get that third dose. And that that's a that's from the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. So that's, that's a big reason. And the third reason is if you look at the eligible population right now of who's had a third dose, it's, a, it's 52%. It's about 52%. And if you look at where those 52% are, they are not exclusively, but overwhelmingly in higher income neighborhoods. Lower income neighborhoods and racialized neighborhoods have drastically lower rates of third doses, drastically lower rates. And then there's efforts to correct this, right? You've got, I'm in Toronto, you've got... Uh, uh, Council member Joe Cressy, whose heroic efforts to get vaccines to, to lower income and racialized communities and lowering all possible barriers to vaccination, it's incredible. But, like, you can't just exclude low income or racialized neighborhoods from, from going to a restaurant, a bar, a, a movie. Like, you have to really lower all the barriers and put in time, energy, resources to to get to ensure that everyone has equitable access to these third doses before you start to restrict, potentially restrict people from going places. That takes time, energy, and money. So I, I just think that those between those reasons and perhaps others, I think it, it just it's not wise to you know, ensure that you have a three-dose vaccine uh, before you before you can enter those places, and and we just have to be honest: the two-dose vaccine certificate doesn't really hold the same degree of strength or protection that it did with prior variants. So, I think if you lined up a lot of people in medicine and science, most people would say you should do like three doses or nothing, or two doses plus infection or nothing. Uh, but two doses, as it stands, it's, it's probably it doesn't it doesn't really hold up, unfortunately. So left to our own devices, whether we are fully vaccinated, whether that means two or three, uh, whether we're partially vaccinated or we're an anti-vaxxer, left to our own devices, how do we protect ourselves with the lifting of restrictions on the horizon and in the present? Uh, Let's recognize that everyone's going to move forward at their own pace, right? Some people are ready to jump in with two feet and go to every restaurant, bar, and movie some people are going to very slowly and cautiously move forward. And I think it's important to recognize that it's all okay. Uh, you know, we're all moving at our own, at our own pace. Uh, you know, there's obviously things we can do to help protect ourselves. You can wear a mask in an indoor setting, which is still required, but, but um, you know, we heard rhetoric that perhaps they're going to reconsider that at some point. Rapid tests are increasingly available, and you can certainly uh, rapid test to ensure if you're having a small gathering with 
people or a gathering of people that people test negative prior to going in. Uh, if you're eligible for third doses, you can certainly get a third dose of a vaccine or get dose one and dose two. I mean, these all go a very, very long way. The other important point to remember that no one really wants to talk about, but I think it's extremely important, it's, it's, it's valuable, is that the pandemic's not over, right? All we're, all we're seeing here is that this wave is receding in Ontario and in Canada, and thank God that it is. I mean, it's just, it was, this was a tough one. But the pandemic's not over. Like, there, there are going to be other waves. There's going to be other variants. It's not clear how they'll impact us, but it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. It absolutely will. You know, hopefully we have enough community-level protection through vaccination and through recovery from infection that they don't impact us as significantly as past waves have. But let's be clear, there will be more waves and more and more variants. And, you know, I think it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle when we're talking about loosening measures and loosening restrictions. But there might be a point in time where let, let's just imagine a scenario where, you know, mass mandates are lifted and whatnot. And then, you know, maybe things deteriorate. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of COVID in the community and hospitals are filling up again. Like, there might be a time where people are asked to put a mask back on. In, in an indoor setting. I think it's going to be hard to, to regress, but I hope senior political and public health leaders discuss that these measures are really a dimmer switch. It's not like it's a one-way arrow pointing in one direction. You know, obviously, no one wants to see the closures of schools or businesses ever again. I mean, that would be unacceptable. But, uh, but you know, things like masking in indoor settings, I think, I think we should strongly consider that those might be options moving forward. And, you know, once that's dropped, I don't think we should consider that that it's dropped for forever. And that might be an unpopular opinion, but I think it's a realistic one. I got to thank you for your opinions and your information, science-driven, but also experience-driven. Before we let you go, Family Day is on Monday. How is your family? Uh, we're okay. I mean, uh, obviously, throughout this mess of the last two years, uh, you know, I Personally, I don't think I've ever worked worked this many hours uh, combined <laughs> ever in my past. But but I, I do make a a, a point to um, really carve out that uh, you know five to nine p.m. with uh, with family. And you know I, I've got two little kids, and it's really important to have you know dinner time as a family and book time and bedtime and ride our bikes outside when it's nice time. You know all that. So. I, you know, I'm far from perfect, and there's days where you know work blends into that uh, that time. But yeah, we're doing okay, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to do okay. Absolutely, but, yeah, it's, it's been. T- I mean, by any metric, though, it's been it's been a tough two years for everybody, and and you know my family was certainly not excluded from tough times. We've all experienced it in Canada, uh, some more than others. It's awful, and uh, hopefully we can get through this together and quickly. And I got to thank you for helping us get through this. Really, truly appreciate it. Hope we can do it again. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, thank you for joining us on the feed. My pleasure. Do you have anxiety about the return to normal? Tina Cortez now with advice from the experts. Dr. Jen Rouse, clinical psychologist, joins us from the Canadian Mental Health Association, York Region, and South Simcoe. Dr. Rouse, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. For those with or without anxiety issues, the province's announcement earlier this week about moving to the next phase of the reopening plan, 
may leave some feeling uncertain and anxious about the, you know, the return mm-hmm. to normal. Do you have advice to cope with those feelings? That's a really great question. I think the first thing I would say is that those emotions are completely valid. You know, the two things we hate as human beings are lack of predictability and lack of control, and this situation certainly has both. What I like to remind people of is the fact that we've been doing that throughout the past two years as the pandemic has gone on. And so while we've been in a range of challenging situations, we also have coped with those by being adaptable and flexible. And so moving forward, as people might be doing some things that they haven't done in a long time, like work in an office or take public transit, is that to go at your own pace. It's okay to start slow. So if you haven't been in a store in a long time, maybe go at a time where it's not too busy, like early in the morning or late at night. And what we find is as people start to do this slowly, exposing themselves to anxiety-provoking situations, that we see that we can cope, that our worst-case scenario isn't going to happen, and that we can get used to that distress. And so, you know, you can try that out if you're going to work again, maybe just kind of driving by the office, um, if you're taking TTC or, um, sorry, any public transit in your region. Um, maybe it's, you know, going again at the off hours, but it's not too busy and you're just getting used to that routine. And I think to book in that is that it is stressful to do all those things and so to acknowledge that it is and really have compassion for yourself, holding space throughout the week and at the end of the day to really decompress and do enjoyable activities. And I guess we should also give ourselves some credit for being adaptable throughout this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's really easy to um, just kind of keep going and uh, feel like we're just pulling through. But we've been pretty amazing and resilient. And it's always wonderful to acknowledge the strengths that we have. Are there regular exercises or routines that we can practice every day to help with anxiety and, and panic attacks? Absolutely. And I think what I'm going to say is probably the same that others have said throughout. So the first is really keeping a routine, especially as we're starting to add more things into our our daily schedule, Um, doing those basics, making sure you're having your meals, you know, connecting with the family or friends as you have before. And that creates a nice stable foundation as we're, we're adding things in. Other things are getting some fresh air, physical movement, whatever that looks like for you. Um, We know that that really has a positive impact on our anxiety and our mood. Um, Meditation similarly does the same. There's a lot of research supporting that for anxiety and for mood. And the nice thing about meditation is it's really like an accordion. You can meditate for one minute if that's all you've got. You can do it for 20 minutes or even a few hours Um, and, and do it in a way that works for you, even if that means at the beginning of the day, all you can do is take three deep breaths. And the thing I'll say about panic is that um, panic is our body's response to fear. Um, It's trying to be helpful in a stressful situation, but often does so in an unhelpful and very uncomfortable way. So the best thing you can do is have support for ourselves to just ride that out. It will end as our body starts to gear down. So just holding space for ourselves during that time. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. You know, the the pandemic has changed so many of us. How do we know Mm -hmm. or how do we identify anxiety or panic? That's a great question. So anxiety is more related to to worry. You can have some what-if situations or worst-case scenarios if your thoughts are always racing, um, any muscle tension, sleep difficulties, uh, getting easily fatigued. That tends to be more in relation to um, worry and anxiety, and those are often over prolonged periods of time. Whereas panic attacks are much more acute. The symptoms onset within a very short period of time, 10 minutes or less. And that's things like difficulties um, um, with uh, breathing, maybe hyperventilating, nausea, 
uh, sweating, tingling sensations, numbness, maybe a feeling of being outside of your body um, or almost like everything's unreal. Um, so that's more of a panic attack versus uh, experience of anxiety. That's good to know. The premier himself admitted that the pandemic has been divisive within his own family. How do we begin to heal those wounds in our own families? This is such a great and important question. I think the first thing to acknowledge, again, is validating this has been a really challenging experience and we've really been tapped out. And what we find is that whenever these ongoing um, challenges throughout our lives happen or projects, whatever that is, is that, you know, once we've been through it, we think, oh, it's two years, we should be good at this. Well, no, actually, we're so tired by the end of it. Um, and that's where we tend to get more conflict, irritability, and things of that nature. And so what we want to do is just kind of remind ourselves that we can absolutely have great connections with people we have differences with. You know, diversity is such a great hallmark of the York region, of Canada in general. And so we can just remind ourselves that those differences can be very complementary and that we have much more in common with each other than we do have differences. And so we can remind ourselves of the things that actually brought us together. Um, what are the things that you like, respect, and love about this person or, or certain family members or groups? We can certainly set up boundaries and say, well, you know, maybe we don't talk about this one issue, um, especially at the beginning, and then start by engaging in an enjoyable shared activity. Maybe you both really like hockey um, or you've been you know, excited to talk about the Olympics or you love reading or walking. So whatever that is, you know, starting small again with your comfort level um, and just reminding ourselves of those, of those reasons for connection. So, Dr. Rouse, tell us about your work and the services provided by CMHA York South Simcoe. Absolutely. I love working at the Canadian Mental Health Association York South Simcoe. It's fantastic. Primarily, I work with the Bounce Back Program, which is incredible. Um, it's a service that provides support for individuals uh, with mild to moderate anxiety, depression, and stress at no direct cost. It's a self-directed program that people can look into online at bouncebackontario.ca um, or they can have a referral through their primary care physician. And you get this great series of booklets that you get to choose, kind of like choose your own adventure, whatever it is that's um, what meeting your needs. You really get to adapt the program. And for those interested and for whom it applies, you can also be connected with a coach. Um, and they'll connect with you for te about 15 minutes every two to three weeks to really support you through that self-directed program, provide you feedback and any, answer any questions that you might have. Another element is that it's offered in a variety of languages, and so it really can match the diversity of our clientele. And then for the Canadian Mental Health Association uh, itself, there are over 30 mental health programs that are there to support individuals experiencing mental health issues all over the York region. And so I really encourage people to, to check out our website, cmha-yr-on.ca, to see more about the programs that we offer. That's great, Dr. Rouse. One more time, where can listeners find more information or make that first step in getting help? Absolutely. I want to say the first thing is getting help. You know, mental health is help. You know, we wouldn't just go to our physician one time and say like, oh, all my physical needs are met. So it's the same with mental health. We can reach out anytime. This has been a taxing experience. So I encourage people to check out the programs that offer that are offered at the Canadian Mental Health Association, York South Simcoe at cmha-yr.on.ca. You can explore the Bounce Back program to see if that might be a good fit for you or talk to your family physician. Um, you can look at the website at bounceback.ontario.ca. 
And if you're looking for something outside of that, there's also Connex Ontario, C-O-N-N-E-X, Ontario.ca. And they also provide resources about mental health services in, in your area. After the break, we kick off the Family Day long weekend. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. How about some positive news? A whole bunch of it all in a row. Here goes. It appears we are past the peak of Omicron. The province is speeding up the lifting of restrictions. It's family day on Monday and March break is just around the corner. So what does this good news mean for you and for your family? Our favorite tour guide, Kevin Forgette, joins us now with how to make the most of family day, March break, and all that restriction-loosened Ontario has to offer. Great to have you with us again, Kevin, from Destination Ontario. How are you? I'm doing great, Anne, and it's even more fun for me to be with you because I love chatting and doing these interviews. And we have such good news. The lifting of restrictions in Ontario. So, Kevin, what does that mean for tourism and for the tourist? You know, it's great news because that will mean that, you know, resorts that maybe had limitations with, you know, restaurant capacity can now allow more people to dine. That means that, you know, there's no, you know, restrictions necessarily on the amount of people that can be outdoors for different events. So all in all, you know, obviously there are still some restrictions in place, but all in all, it's going to mean that more people can enjoy more things that resorts and attractions have to offer. We've been enjoying outdoor activities through the winter, but now we can, as you say, enjoy more. But let's, as we are Olympic-inspired, even though they're wrapping up this weekend, let's talk about what we can do outdoors uh, right now for fun, for pleasure, and for good health. Yeah, there are so many things to really get out and embrace winter. You know, there's a lot of people that are maybe listening, thinking, ah, I hate the cold weather or hate the snow. It makes it a lot longer if you don't actually get out and do something to take advantage of it, right? So we want to encourage people to get outside. You know, a lot of people, I don't know, and when was the last time you strapped on some skis? It's probably been that long, right? Yep, it's been about a decade. (laughs) It's been about a decade. So you know what? We may not be able to do it this winter together, but by next winter, I'm going to make sure that you and I do that. But there's a lot of people that maybe haven't, you know, done skiing in a while or listening and thinking, oh, my grandkids haven't done this or never tried it or the kids have never done it. We want to encourage people to get out. Try the slopes because a lot of the resorts have different size hills. Don't be intimidated. But they also offer the rental, you know, the ski equipment that you need, the snowboards, the boots and all that. One very close to South Petty York region for great skiing is Hockley Valley. And I was actually just there recently. It's a great hill because they've got lots of great options. But then... One thing that I really say is a lot of fun for outdoor adventure is tubing because it's all the thrill and no skill because <laughs> you literally just sit in a tube and get pushed down a hill. You've got something called skate trails. You sent me a list of things that really inspire you to perspire and to enjoy the great outdoors. What are skate trails? Skate trails really blew up when they opened one at Arrowhead Provincial Park in Huntsville probably about seven or eight years ago now. And it became so popular where People couldn't get in, so other people thought, you know what, this is something that I should start opening. And there are a lot of trails, and what it is, instead of 
skating around a pond or a, a skating rink, it is a trail that leads through trees, different bushes. There's different lengths. So, for example, the Richmond Green Trail is more of a, a loop that goes through the Richmond Green, of course, in Richmond Hill. But then, you know, at the top of Blue Mountain, there's a great ski trail that's over a, a kilometer long that leads through the different uh, trees and bushes. There's also Fern Resort in Aurelia that offers it. And then one of my favorites, the Muskoka Lakes Farm and Winery has an amazing skate trail. That's in Bala. And you can do the skate trail. It's over, I think, 1.2 kilometers long. And then after that, you can sit back, enjoy some of the fire pits they have there, and do some tastings of their different cranberry wines and ciders. Let's talk about water, whether it's frozen or you're in it. So ice climbing, ice fishing, and outdoor pools, even when it's minus 25 Celsius. <laughs> Cold weather doesn't scare us, does it? No. <laughs> nope. uh, so ice climbing, yeah, it, this is maybe something for more of an adventurous person. I actually just did it two weeks ago in Alora. You uh, strap on the, the boots that have the spikes. The, the different things to spike through on your hands, and they'll take you through. It's a place called One Axe Pursuits, and that's you do that right in the Alora Gorge, um, you know, at your own pace. They're not going to push you, but there's also places, you know, in the Halliburton area. There's places if you're going to head way up north into Sudbury uh, for ice climbing. And then you talked about ice fishing. Um, it's, it's something that a lot of people have never really tried before. Um, not far within our own backyard, Lake Simcoe, um, Jackson's Point is the ice fishing capital of Canada. A lot of people didn't know that. So right across our country, this is the place to go to. Um, so you can do ice, ice fishing rentals um, and huts there. But one place not far from sort of the York region area also is Island Lake Conservation Area. And that is in the Orangeville area. And this is a conservation area that allows people to rent ice fishing rods for ice fishing. They'll also do the whole augering services. So make sure they cut that hole for you and be able to allow you to, to do some ice fishing for the day. And, you know, safety first. You believe in it. So do we here at 105.9 The Region. Where do you go to get the information you need to make sure that the ice is thick enough and safe to be on it? Well, you know, we always say no ice is safe ice, and you really want to check with the tour operators themselves. So the best way to get the most information is to actually reach out to the individual ice hut operators, the different conservation areas, because they will know exactly the ice thickness that, uh, that they offer at different areas. Because Lake Simcoe could be a certain amount of inches within Cook's Bay, but be different out more in the Aurelia area. So it's really the best way to do that is to reach out to the individual operators to get the best ice advice. Family Day is on Monday, and it may mean that there isn't a lot of time to plan. What are some of the things that we can do spur of the moment? For the moment, now, like, what we do is we really encourage, if you head to DestinationOntario.com, there's a list of different hiking trails. For the moment, stuff is going to be more about doing stuff at your own pace. So more of the York Region Forest hiking trails, doing some of the hiking trails that are offered at some of the resorts. But this is going to be sort of the big eye-opener for us. Yes, this weekend is Family Day weekend, and you're thinking, well, oh, I really want to do something, but you didn't book. This is a big indication that if looking ahead to March break is book ahead because there is still capacity limits and because people have been cooped up indoors for so long they're realizing that they need to get out and do more stuff so ski resorts have never been busier you know different attractions have never been busier but also if you're looking to go and do things like the rom in toronto or do stuff like that at reptilia in bond you know it's really important to look ahead because march break is only a couple weeks away book now so you don't miss out because the last thing you want to do is be stuck in your house with your kids 
with absolutely nothing to do because they're going to drive you crazy. So book now and plan ahead. Been there, done that because of the pandemic. (laughs) So You know, I can speak from experience. You don't want to be trapped in your house with your kids. Nope. So let's hone in then on on Monday, family day. And and are there places that you can go wherever in Southern Ontario that don't require planning and don't require booking ahead? You know, there isn't a lot of places that don't require the bookings, but if you want to actually go and do some stuff with the family, what we do is we say that you can do a lot of the things on your own. So if it is just sort of exploring some of our downtown areas, doing some of that stuff, the shops will be open, the different restaurants and the pubs, and, and supporting local that way. But then also, you know, doing the exploring of New York Region Forest. I would say that is a hidden gem in New York Region that a lot of people do not actually have ever, never done before. And uh, they actually, if you go onto the York Durham website, they have a full list of all the trail systems for the York Region Forest. That's not going to plan any booking, and you're not going to miss out on anything. And, you know, we always talk about budget, and we're all on a budget. And there are things that you can do that don't require anything other than enthusiasm. <laughs> it's true, right? You don't you don't need a lot of you don't need a lot of money to go out and do a lot of fun. You know, finding those little you know toboggan hills in your backyard and doing all of that kind of stuff, and really just family day weekend is about spending time with your family, right? So no matter what you're going to do, you, you do that, and then once you sort of do that stuff and spend time with your family, there's opportunities for more of adult time and doing some of the outdoor spas that Ontario has to offer. We have some new ones that literally have just opened up in the last month in the province. One thing that I find interesting is is how the mood is shifting in Ontario, and in particular when it comes to tourism and the people who are a part of it, the, the resort owners, the, the restaurant owners, the attraction owners. How are they feeling now that we're beginning to see the lifting of restrictions and this just kind of change when it comes to feeling like the pandemic is almost coming to an end? Yeah, the light. And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different resort owners and attraction owners, and this has not been easy. But the encouraging part is, is what they're saying is they're seeing people really want to get out and travel. They want to go to the resorts. They want to do all the different attractions. So the demand is there, but the reality is it's really hard for staffing levels. So the one thing I will sort of give advice to anybody who's listening right now is the fact that when you go to these attractions or you go to these different resorts between now and, you know, over the next couple of months, have some patience. Let's be polite to each other because, you know, everyone's trying to do their best and the resorts and attractions are having a really hard time getting staff there. So it's, things may take a little bit longer than they are normally, but the encouraging part is people want to get out and explore the province and travel for sure. Important question, Kevin Forgette from Destination Ontario. What are you doing on Family Day? What am I going to do on Family Day? Well, you know what? I think that just in my own backyard, I live in Georgina, proud Georgina resident. Uh, I'm going to go and do the tubing hill at the Georgina Rock. Uh, my kids both have passes there, but my wife and I have not gone and actually done the tubing yet this year. So I think the four of us, we're going to hop and do some tubing at the Georgina Rock. And so if you're there this weekend, uh, you know, I'll be there. So come say hi. <laughs> it, take pictures. Take some video, would you? I'd love to see that. Kevin Forgette, Destination Ontario. Thanks so much for joining us on the feed. Yeah, thanks for having me always, Anne. Thank you. By the way, did you know about the staycation tax credit? Ontario residents apparently can spend this year exploring our province and claim a 20% personal tax credit on eligible accommodations from now until the end of this year. 
Meanwhile, the travel and tourism industry is ready to get back to business. Kevin Frankish with that story. The travel industry has been battered and bruised this lockdown. So there hasn't been a lot of good news until just lately. And that is with the federal government's decision to remove the COVID-19 PCR testing requirements for fully vaccinated travelers entering or returning to Canada. Uh, Martin Firestone is president of Travel Secure Inc. and joins me right now. Hi, Martin. How are you? Thank you for having me. I am fine. So finally, something to be positive about. Yeah, I actually found yesterday the first time in two years that I wasn't preaching doom and gloom and there were some actual positive things going on. How did you sleep last night? I slept really well. Funny enough, though, as enthusiastic as I was, there's still lots of emails that I got from people that said, what are you so happy about? You know, they still haven't removed everything. And I say, guys, it's a step in the right direction. That's the attitude we have to have. You know, and and I think that that is the problem we come to whenever we're, we're protesting something is we want all now or nothing. And that is definitely not the way government works, period. So I, I think one step forward or two steps forward rather than one forward and two back is, uh, is definitely a victory, right? Exactly. And I always have an attitude of better late than never. I mean, honestly, this should lead to further restrictions being taken off, assuming numbers and everything continue in the downward trend. So I have to, I have to be positive because honestly, for two years, it, there was nothing good to talk about. Okay, Martin, I have not traveled in two years. I haven't planned traveling. I haven't looked into traveling. I haven't looked into testing. And I I think a lot of people haven't. I think we've all shied away because we just assumed no unnecessary travel. What do we need to know at this time in February of 2022? What do we need to know about traveling? The government decision to reduce the travel advisory from level three to level two is now what many people needed to have peace of mind and say, I'm not going against what my government has advised. So you wouldn't imagine how many people said, I'm not traveling because if I get stranded somewhere and I call the government and say, come help me, they'll go, we told you so, not to travel. So now it's not a problem to travel in the government's opinion. So guess what? It's not going to be a problem in my opinion either. That was key. Amongst all the other changes, that one there really is going to free up a lot of people and make their decisions much easier. Are you fearful, though, that that it could lead to more restrictions should we get another wave as a result? Yeah. Who's kidding who? If, in fact, there's another variant, and I, I pray there is not, but if there is, that could just get us back to a lot of the layers that are slowly getting peeled off. But having said that, you know, even the Omicron was a much lighter case and a more controllable case. Remember, it's only a year ago that people were in ICU and on ventilators. That sort of seems like in the past now. So even if there is a variant of some sort that does cause cases, will it be mild enough that it's not going to cause concern and further restrictions put back on? You know, we don't have a crystal ball. You were saying you got some emails saying, what are you so happy about? What kind of industries were they from and what were their concerns? It was just people in general who were probably suggesting that they don't like being told what needs to be done, and they weren't too happy with my enthusiasm, even (laughs) though I know it was a time to be happy. So I can't suggest it was any industry per se. I think it was just a general group that are not happy in general being told what to do. 
Now, the travel industry, like I said in the introduction, has been battered and bruised uh, throughout this. What kind of travel industry are we looking at coming out of this? And are they going to be able to handle the expected onslaught of people? Because I know one of the first things I want to do is travel. And are they, yeah. are they, they they've had to cut down so much over the past two years. Are they going to be ready for this? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and if you think about a restaurant that had full staffing and then all of a sudden it closed down, these people went and found jobs elsewhere or chose not to come back to work. That's the fear in travel that, you know, all these particular scenarios, are they going to have enough staff right from airlines to accommodations, hotels and tourism? Will there be enough staff to accommodate the what I think will be an onslaught of people? So great question. Will the experience be as people thought and what they are used to? And I don't know. That may be a problem going forward. What do you want people to know now then uh, of, of going forward? Uh, going forward now, going forward in the weeks to come and the months to come? What, what do we need to know and, and what are the cautions you might give? Well, travel insurance, as always, is going to be paramount, and they should have it. And they should probably add trip interruption to much of their uh, travel insurance also, because they still can test positive, even on a rapid test, and have to quarantine 10 days in the country they are at. So let's not forget that. While they don't need the PCR, they still need the antigen. And if they test positive, they can't come home. So things like that are wise to think about in case you need costs of accommodations, expenses, and new airfare homes. So that's part of something that should be part of their purchasing. Not only medical unexpected emergency, they should also look at trip interruption. As far as everything else, they just have to have patience. Like anything else, the airports are going to be crowded. There's still going to be random testing. So things aren't going to be like they are used to. It's going to be a new normal. You know, and I can't advise people enough. Whenever I travel, I always top up my medical insurance. Um, whether or not OHIP covers this or not, whether or not your your company's policy covers this or not, travel insurance is so relatively cheap compared to what could could literally wipe you out if something just happens not to be covered by the insurance you already have. It really is. It, it's cheap. It's definitely for under 60 years old, there's no question that it's very inexpensive. And when you think that a U.S. hospital could be $25,000 a day, that's pretty scary. So you're 100% right in giving that kind of advice. But people should, if anything, have more than what they think they need for sure. All right. Well, I'll see you at the airport, Martin. (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) All right, Martin Firestone of Travel Secure, Inc. When we come back, minor hockey and the pandemic. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Jim Lang is next with the challenges of coaching and playing minor hockey over the last two years. One of the great things about things getting back to normal is that means a return to amateur sports and minor hockey and athletics in general. And one of the sports that's taken a real hit during the pandemic is minor hockey. To talk more about it, thrilled to be joined by the coach of the AAA Toronto Red Wings U12 team, Bo Moyer. Bo, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I, I, when you first sent me a note, I, I, it didn't seem real. 
In the GTHL, they have played seven regular season hockey games in 23 months. I, I mean, that seems inconceivable to me. Yeah, like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, right now, I think we've uh, we've covered 11 games in the past, uh, well, close to 24 months. So, um, kids have, uh, you know, kids have been taking away a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of their uh, their fun time from all the hard work they've put in, put into it. So, um, it, it's nice to see some uh, some some regular uh, scheduling and and games being followed by uh, appropriate practice time now. And Bo, especially at your age group, the U twelve, it's a really crucial step for kids maybe trying to get to a higher level of hockey, junior hockey, university hockey, whatnot. Because it's this is where I, I find a lot of the skills take that big leap. Am I correct? Oh, you're a hundred percent. You're you're right. You're right there, Jim. The thing is, is at the end of the day, these kids have been practicing, doing skill sessions, doing private training, everything like that. And at a certain point, with no you know firm schedule, at certain points in this whole pandemic, it, it it's been definitely tough for kids to uh, you know to maintain that high motivation to become a better player, especially when you when you see that you know what. I'm, I've been on the ice, say, 12, 14 hours in a month here, and uh, there's no game in sight. But you know what? It, the kids that have pushed through, uh, that have worked at it, uh, they're definitely seeing the benefits. Yeah, because my concern, Bo, is I know the the numbers of young kids getting into hockey and AAA hockey is shrinking, and I'm, I'm really concerned that because of the pandemic, a lot of kids might go, you know what, I'm just going to tap out and play another sport. Yeah, for sure, and you know, I, I think what has happened in the first eight to twelve months of of the pandemic, especially with hockey players, is they've they've kind of found a uh, an individual sport niche where you know what they might feel more comfortable uh, and knowing that uh, they can go forward. Say maybe it's tennis, maybe it's golf, it's something like that. That you know we don't have to rely on a, a full team to to have enjoyment and to compete. Speaking with Bo Moyer, he is the coach of the AAA Toronto Red Wings U12 team of the GTHL, which plays a lot of athletes from the region of the GTA. And Bo, I, I always think about the mental challenge at that age. Our kids are a little bit past the U12 age. They're late teens. But boy, that's a difficult time saying, hey, just stick with it. You're trying to convince them to keep practicing. How did you do it as a coach to keep the kids doing off-ice sessions, doing practice, getting ready for the time where you're back playing games? Well, you know what, Jim, that was, that was one of the biggest challenges is, uh, you know, for, as a coach, it's difficult to diagnose a player's weaknesses individually and your team weaknesses when you, you haven't played many games. So, um, as a coach, it, it kind of came to a point where, you know, it felt like we were working just on the same skills to, to try to keep progressing as a group. Um, but at the end of the day, um, in large part, you got to, you just got to tip your cap to these kids that have just stuck with it. And, and, and you know what, the, the light is definitely shining on them that uh, things and will be better for them long-term uh, moving forward. I mean, we talk about the kids motivation, but about your own bow. I mean, you've had to you know, endure the pandemic with your life and keep the kids going and keep yourself going. How did you keep yourself going through all of this? Ah, well, you know, that that's, you know, it, starts with a good support network at home with my wife and everything like that but uh you know what i was very fortunate uh you know we took advantage of some uh, outdoor rink ice um an establishment in caledon as well throughout the uh, 
the, the whole pandemic. So whatever means of ice we could find, we, uh, we found a way to make it work. And one thing we were very fortunate to, is to have the buy-in and the commitment from the, uh, the kids and parents to, to keep pushing through as a unit, as a group, uh, because at the end of the day, we all set goals and uh, everybody wants to achieve them. And we just tried to show up at the rink uh, with a smile and be excited uh, to tackle any day if it was a game or a practice or a scrimmage. Looking ahead to March and April, how busy of a schedule will you be for your team, the U12 Toronto Red Wings? Well, at this point, Jim, like we've played, uh, I think, 10 games this regular season. I think we have 17 games remaining. So we're probably looking at eight or nine games for the last two months of the regular season going into the playoff stretch. So, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be fairly busy for sure. Um, you know, like we, we operate as a, uh, you know, if we have two games a week, uh, we'll have two practices, one game, three practices. So, you know, we're a four day a week program. So we, we try to keep things, uh, healthy, uh, family wise, academic wise and everything like that. So it, it, it will be busy, but, the kids are looking forward to it. Yeah, I was just going to say that, Bola. I mean, there's that anticipation now that, hey, I've put all this time in and endured the last year and a half or so, and now here's the payoff. i got a lot of games, a lot of practices, the playoffs. I mean, it has to be so exciting for them. Oh, Jim, like you, you stand in the room prior to a game and you see the smiles uh, on the kids' faces and the excitement. and it, You know, it, for me, it's it's been... It's just been great to see, like, we, we've been fortunate enough, like, uh, I've had my father come to a couple of our tournaments early on in the year, and, you know, he could just sense the, uh, the, the excitement, the fun, and the passion. Like, these kids got so much, so much energy and excitement for the game just because there's a game sitting right in front of them, and it's just, it's just beautiful to see. You know, often you hear the horror stories about, you know, helicopter parents when it comes to minor sports and bothering the coaches. Is there a sense that a lot of the parents, a lot of people around hockey who sometimes give it a bad name are more appreciative of what they have and are more open to letting you do your job? Yeah, I I, I cannot complain about uh, the parent groups, that's for sure. Um, I think uh, the big thing is is they, they appreciate their time, uh, they appreciate their time driving their kid to the rink. I think that's good um, mother-child, father-child time um, that you never get back. So I, I think there's just there's just a lot of happiness every time you come in, come to our come to an arena at this point. Arena coffee never tasted better. Am I right, Bo? You're bang on there, Jim. Bo, thanks so much for doing this. All the best, and thank you so much for the dedication teaching these young kids about the love of hockey and maybe future Olympians, future pros, and whatever they do, they're going to be better for it down the road. We really great appreciate your efforts with the AAA Toronto Red Wings U12 team, and thank you for doing this. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Take care, my friend. Take care. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.